Hey friends, and welcome to Body Image with Brie, the podcast. I am your host, Brie, or Brianna Campos. I'm a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New Jersey, and I'm also a body image coach and educator. I also have clinical experience working with eating disorders. This podcast is designed to help you make peace with your current body. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of diet culture, body image, and learn how to make peace in the skin you're in. Hey friend, and welcome to another episode of Body Image with Brie. I am your host, Brie, and I am so excited, y'all. We have so many cool things that are coming down the pike here and on the podcast and in my business. And and, and I'll be completely transparent. It's exciting and also terrifying at the same time. Um, but we're gonna try to ride, <laughs> we're gonna try to ride out the excitement train. So we are over here building hype. We are trying to do what we can to get everybody as excited as we are for uh, this, these changes that are coming. And so with that, um, we are dropping three hot episodes this week with three very special people that I want you to keep uh, note of. I want you to go and check them out and figure out, uh, you know, more about them and, you won't know why until I believe I've decided the 28th is the day that I'm going to, I'm going to release early um, information about some of the changes that are coming uh, in my business. It'll be August, August 2nd um, that those changes are going to be implemented, but uh, yeah, I'm going to give a little sneak peek uh, into those changes, uh, July 28th. This is being recorded in July of 2021. So if you have not already, there is a type form that I have linked on this episode. And I also have it linked in my bio, uh, on Instagram at body image with Brie. So go fill your name out on that episode. I'm sorry, (laughs) on that type form to know what those changes are first. So, I I mean, I could go on and on, but I want to get to this episode. Today's guest is a very special guest. She is near and dear to my heart, uh, and that is because she is my voice teacher, Kate Rosen from Kate Rosen Studios in Michigan. In this episode, we just jump right in to... Everything. I don't even know how I would summarize uh, this episode, but we talk about being fat. Obviously, if you've been here for a while, you know that we use fat in a reclaimed way. We talk about uh, discrimination, being in a fat body um, while being in the music and theater um, industry. We talk about feeling like we need to give up on our dreams and uh, the expectation that comes with being a performer in a larger body. And then we also talk about uh, singing and how uh, it 
can help us uh, manage our emotions, that it is a way for our body to release. It is a way for our body to connect. And it's just, it's a beautiful episode. I think y'all are going to love it. If you like it, if it hits a spot for you in your heart that you're like, "Mm, I resonate with this, feel free to like it, to share it, um, recommend it to a friend and yeah, give us a review. Let us know. Let us know what your thoughts are. So uh, that is all for today's episode. So excited. I do not believe this episode needs a trigger warning. Um, But you know, as always, this cannot be a replacement for medical or mental health advice and is for informational and entertainment purposes only. So, without further ado, let's go talk to Kate. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Body Image with Brie. I am so excited that you are here, and I am so excited to introduce my wonderful guest, who also happens to be my voice teacher, Kate Rosen. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Brie. Can you tell everybody a little bit about who you are? Yes, my name is Kate. I am a voice teacher from outside Detroit, Michigan. I am married. I'm a stepmom of two awesome kids. And I, of late, have been getting really active with fat liberation and how it intersects with people's experiences, mine included, in the voice and theater worlds. Oh my goodness, I love that. Should we tell everybody how we connected on Yes, Instagram? yes, I think we should. <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah, so Brie had given her brother some kind of, it was a gift, it was yeah. like a themed gift. You have yeah. to explain it because I don't remember the exact. So, yeah, because it was a it was a TikTok, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's so cute!" And it was taking uh, money and then playing the the song from Hamilton, and it was like Alexander Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, and, and like going through all of the things, and he did not appreciate it. I'll have to link it. <laughs> it was really <laughs> funny. It was playing out the song using money, money, and it was very funny. And I messaged Brie and was like, ha, 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 I love this. And I love Hamilton. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, Kate Rose Studios. I was like, are you a voice teacher? And she was like, yeah, Kate Rose in Studios. Yes, I am a voice teacher. And I was like, how do I work with you? <laughs> and then since then, we have worked together. Oh, gosh, how long has it been now? A little, a little over like, a year? A year? Almost? I think almost a year. I think it was last summer. It was last yeah? summer. Yeah. And we both have a love of musical theater and cats. Uh, her cat likes to enter into our voice lessons all the time. She What's does. the name of your cat? Her name is Beans, but her full name is Dr. Beans B. Biscuits. But mostly okay. she's Beans. <laughs> Dr. Beans. She's great. Yes. She's so cute. Yes. Maybe she's she'll well educated in this moonlight, moonlight in this episode. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your fat liberation work. So. I have always been a fat person to some degree or another, and throughout my life, I've had varying relationships with my body, with the concept of fatness, with food, with movement, and in the last, I would say three years, I've become aware of health at every size, intuitive eating, fat liberation, even body positivity, which can be sometimes more useful than other times, was a really good gateway for me into more more liberating practices 
And over the last year, when things have been so uh, isolated, I definitely got a lot more involved in fat liberation communities online, especially on Instagram, and surrounding myself with content made by bodies that were like mine, and surrounding myself with like rad people who had a lot to say about the worth of all people, regardless of size. It's had a really profound effect on me to build a community of people who are fat to view my fat and other people's fat identity as an identity, mm. as something that's not a problem waiting to be solved. There's not a thin woman inside me waiting to get out. I am a fat person. And it has just been extremely liberating and extremely fun to connect with other fat folks who have had experiences that mirror mine. Mm. And for us to be rising up and saying, we deserve personhood, we deserve dignity in healthcare, we deserve dignity in our work, we deserve dignity in our artistic expression, in the way we dress ourselves. Um, it's been incredibly life-changing and it has definitely also changed the way that I teach voice as well. How so? I think that coming from the background I did, I studied classical music in college and in graduate school, and I went to really top schools for classical singing. And so I had this really competitive need to be on the top of the heap. And I think in a lot of ways that was compensatory, that if I was going to be fat, I needed to be the best at everything else. So I could at least be like, well, at least the only thing wrong with me, <laughs> right? I had to be right up there. So in my teaching, when I had just gotten out of school, I felt like I was trying to prove myself a lot. And I think I was also focusing on how my students could gain acceptance as well, how my students could get into the top schools, how my students could win a competition, right? Like this external validation sort of model. And for a long time, I've been moving away from that, but never so much as now, where if a student of mine wants to go and be on Broadway, that's still something that I am on board with, absolutely. And if they want to get into top school, sure, absolutely. But the focus has to be, how are you going to find your own truest self in your singing? How are you going to find the way that it feels freest to sing? Because if you just get into a good school, but you're not being true to yourself, then what are you going to do after? How is that fire that's in you going to stay lit when things get harder, when your art begins to be what puts food on the table? I feel like my fat liberation practices have led me to more universal liberation practices that we all need to be more focused on internal acceptance and internal success. And that that can also lead to external successes mm. in a much more lasting way. Yeah, that's really powerful. And just the way that, that you worded that really resonates with me. That idea of like, yes, I'm fat, but that's the only thing that's wrong with me. That's so relatable. I, I remember being in my master's program and being in my internship and thinking I'm a damn good clinician, but I'm fat. So there's a possibility I'm going to get disqualified. Now, in a clinical setting, that says way more about another person to me than it would about me. And so even if somebody were to come at me, 
because I'm fat, it'd be like, hmm, you know, that's interesting that that's something that's coming up for you. But I think in music and in the industry of theater and art, it's actually widely accepted to be disqualified for being in a larger body. So I'm wondering if you could speak to that at all. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like it's so accepted. It's so accepted that if you are in a larger body and the standards for what constitutes a larger body are so low, like you have to be so small to not be considered large bodied in the theater. And especially I think in musical theater where chorus dancers are especially uniformly shaped. And so I have a lot of thoughts on this. My experience in theater was that I played like every mom. Mm -hmm. Since I hit puberty, I played Mrs. Blank, Mrs. Potts, Mm -hmm. Mrs. Banks, Mrs. Like it was just every Mrs. And I was really, really fortunate to be able to play main roles as a larger body person. And I knew that. And I still am very appreciative that I was able to play leading roles at any point. Because I know a lot of people go through community theater and school theater and don't play roles. So again, I'm very grateful for that. But it taught me a lot about who I was allowed to be. And Mm. who I was allowed to be in the theater, I think, affected who I thought I was allowed to be outside the theater. And having never, ever in my life seen, like, fat people in a show fall in love, whether that's a movie or a TV show or a theatrical show, all I saw was fat people being villains, being moms, being, like, buffoons, Mm -hmm. and being the butt of a fat joke. Right? How did that like type casting impact your self esteem in your real life? Because you mentioned that you're married with stepchildren. I know a lot of people in larger bodies who that doesn't happen for because of the narrative that you can't be loved in a fat body. Yeah. I think that reverberated through a lot of areas of my life, starting with feeling like I was not worthy of romantic love as a young teen feeling like you know that was never something that was going to happen for me and as well thinking that if I wanted it I needed to fix my body right I've always been a smart person I was a really smart kid and I've always been a hard worker and it felt like as soon as I can get this one thing in order the world is my oyster and until then nothing is for me And it did cause me, I think, to make a lot of compromises in my life. You know, when my high school voice teacher, who was wonderful and I love, but steered me toward classical when musical theater was where my heart really was and still is, even after six years of, you know, of very expensive school to learn how to be a classical singer, that if I had been in a smaller body, I don't think I would have been steered into opera. It was supposed to be a safer space for fat bodies, but listeners may not know this, that Opera has become extremely fatphobic, and that was a barrier for me developing my career in opera as well. That the Metropolitan Opera does these HD broadcasts now where they will like film their shows and put them out to movie theaters, and that is widely blamed in the opera community as why it's become like much more image focused <laughs> in opera, which to me is still bullshit because you can zoom the camera out a little tiny bit to put a bigger body on screen. Fat people can be on movie screens too, incredibly. Who knew? They're pretty big screens. We can fit. So yeah, opera was sort of where I was steered because of my body. And then it also wasn't welcoming. 
And from from my own body image to say, you know, your dream isn't for you, musical theater. Nope, that you can't do that because your body. And then I settled for a dream that wasn't really my dream. And then I was also disqualified from that. And that was just very heartbreaking that like the last summer program I went to, I had a private lesson with a voice teacher and she did not teach me singing. She pointed to my belly and she said, how are you going to take care of that? And I was like, what? Oh, and that was the last summer program I did. My jaw is literally like on the ground right now. It's incredible that someone would say that to another person. And for context, though, this person was also a fat female singer. And (laughs) I imagine that she thought she was giving me a charity. I imagine Mm -hmm. that she thought she was doing me a favor because I am sure that she must have faced quite a bit of discrimination for her body to think that she should say something like that. Yeah. Yeah. To a 20, 26 year old oh, aspiring God. mezzo. Like I was just there to learn. Right. And like, you know, at the time I, I feel like I had all the tools I needed to succeed in that industry, wow. except the feeling that my body was good enough for that. Right. You know? Right. How did you reconcile that with your career choice like you're already in this industry and in this field so how did you reconcile that okay well just as a a person in a fat body with this identity this is just what I'm gonna have to face I think there were a lot of factors that went into my career pivot but I think the biggest one of those was that you know as a the opera industry is kind of mm, strange and after getting a bachelor's degree from a private conservatory, a master's degree, I was still out there paying or not getting paid to perform or getting $12 an hour to sing chorus. And it was like, I have a master's degree from a really, really top tier institution. Both my degrees were. And it was like, if I can't make any money enough to like pay my student loan bills, right? right? And put food on the table, et cetera, you know, the glamour, then what am I to do? Right. Mm. And I had been teaching voice lessons since graduate school and starting to like that more and more. And when I, I went away to that program I mentioned was two months long and I was away for eight weeks in the middle of nowhere. And I had just met the man who would become my husband two months before that. And so I had fallen in love and I was away and I was like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. And I didn't like the way it was making me feel, but also I realized how much I missed teaching And I realized how much that being in one place was becoming valuable to me because I had never really planned on getting married. I had never Mm -hmm. really planned on like settling somewhere an opera singer. Life is a very nomadic life. You really like pop around to wherever there's a gig and that had sounded fine to me. And I think in some ways my internalized fat phobia thinking that I would never find a man to settle down with was something that made me like, I can do that. That's fine. Mm. (laughs) You know, it was sort of protective in some ways. Yeah. I felt like empowered to go out and pursue my career because I didn't expect to find love. It's so interesting too, because I had shared this before we started recording. Some people might know this, but not many people know this. I actually started in college as a theater major and I had only applied to schools that had theater programs and school I went to didn't even end up having a musical theater program, but I had gotten in on a scholarship for acting 
And so I remember the first play that they did. Was it even a musical? I don't even remember. I can't even recall. I know they ended up creating a musical theater program. Anyway, after my first set of callbacks, because I was called back after the first set, and then it was all these older kids. It was a very intense experience where I sat at a callback for like, I want to say it was like four hours, just just waiting. And I was like, I have a big math test tomorrow. And I realized very quickly, I was like, I don't think I'm cut out for this life, like the nomadic lifestyle of waiting to hear whether or not I got into the callback. But I remember feeling pressured because in that callback, even the character I was being called back for, I didn't feel like I quote unquote looked the type and I was like, I don't even think this is about skill anymore. This is going to be about who, quote unquote, looks the part. And I don't think I even performed to the ability that I sh- could have or should have. I think it, I was overwhelmed at that point. And I was a freshman. I didn't know what I was doing. But of seeing who I was up against, I was like, there's no way they're going to pick me when there are other people who could, quote unquote, play the type better. So what are your thoughts on typecasting and how do you break out of playing the part that you're told that you, quote unquote, should? I think that one thing you said in there really is sticking with me, which is that you were saying that you felt like you didn't perform as well as you could have. Do you think it's because you felt out of place with your body being the way it was? A hundred percent. So I feel like to me, it all has to start early. It has to start as early as possible. And it's never too late and start this work now. If now's the time, then now's the time. But I think if you grow up thinking my body is something I have to say I'm sorry for. And if you grow up thinking I need to hide this, I need no one to notice that I'm fat, then on stage, it's going to be a lot harder to inhabit a character who relates to their body well, who is comfortable in their body. And so I feel like For me, when I think about the way I was cast growing up, how much of it was because I didn't carry myself like someone who thought she was cute. So how am I going to play someone who thinks she's cute? Like, who's confident, who's a female lead, who's a flirty person, who's someone who has a romantic opposite in the show. And so I, I think that there are so many ideas about what, quote unquote, the industry wants. And then I think... The industry is this cloud up above everyone. Right. This, like, what like, is the industry? What, this, this nothing, <laughs> right? And then everyone below that is an enactor of those imaginary mm. rules. That if I, as a voice teacher to, let's say, a 13-year-old say, you know what? This is not the path for you because you're going to not fit with what the industry mm. wants. Then I am capping that human being's potential right then and there. They are going to stop working toward the thing they love because I am redirecting them away from it, right? Hmm. And I think that with those imaginary things coming down from above, there are so many people enacting that, that we have fewer prepared fat actors, singers, dancers at those upper levels because you need a lot of yeses to get to those upper levels, You need a lot of yeses at a dance class and yeses at an acting camp and yeses from your voice teacher and your choir teacher and your school director. And if everybody is operating under the same rules, if everyone is agreeing to the same rules, then the same people are going to get excluded every time. Wow. 
wow. And, and it's almost like this confirmation bias of, yeah, I knew I was going to get disqualified. I'm like a keepsake quarter and I keep everything. And before we moved, I ended up cleaning out some stuff. And I remember f I found some stuff from when I was involved in theater in high school. And I remember I had sent my director an email because I had been pulled up the rank from the chorus to this one specific role. And it was a dance heavy role. And I was anxious because of being in a bigger body that I wasn't going to be able to keep up with the other two dancers. And I remember she was so kind and so compassionate. Me feeling like I missed out on like being cast as a romantic lead, that hurt. But me then being cast as a dancer, I was like, what? what? I can't do that. Because it was my own confirmation bias of like, I can't keep up with them. And I ended up being able to do it. And it's also so sad, too, because if I look back at myself and I look at, at pictures of myself, I'm like, I'm really not as big as I thought I was. Same. Body dysmorphia. Same. It's real. Friends. Same. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When I look back at high school, I'm like, oh, that's a, <laughs> not even really a fat person. Right. Definitely. Like for me, I was definitely fatter than like everyone else. Theater schools. Sure. Would quote unquote want. But yeah. And fatter than the girls in my school. But yeah, no, it's so interesting, isn't it? Looking back and yeah, being like, totally like, wow, I was really dysmorphic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And for those that are listening, they're like, what is body dysmorphia? It, it is a DSM diagnosis that you are seeing your body in a distorted way. So what you see is not what everyone else sees. And it's truly sad. So if you've ever looked at a picture and you're like, oh, I really I mean, was not as big as I thought I was in my head, it sort of indicates the level of dysmorphia that we have. And I, I think, too, we are critical beings of ourselves. So I think it's understandable that we are going to criticize ourselves in pictures and in real life. But one of the things that also wanted to talk to you about is that I know we've talked a couple of times in lessons that I find that body image work and vocal training or voice lessons is having an overlap for me because I'm finding that the same areas that I teach people to be compassionate and kind and considerate when they are being critical of themselves to be able to do the same things in voice lessons. So I'm wondering, how does body image and singing intersect for you as well? Yeah, I think it's really interesting the ways that we're harsh on ourselves and we follow kind of the same patterns in a lot of different areas. And you're right that there's a lot of self-compassion that sometimes we're lacking when it comes to singing. It's so extremely personal. Singing is so personal. And to share your singing with someone is really personal. And to share it with the intention of getting feedback is so personal. And so in a voice lesson, I feel like there is this just um, like immediate vulnerability because you're sharing a noise that you make from inside of your body and the the structures of it are all very mysterious before you kind of start studying it, right? It's all unseen. Besides just the shape of your mouth, it's all these little internal coordinations. And so it does involve a certain level of connection with your physical body, which I don't think I'm alone in being a fat person who has lived by 
dissociating from my body. I've gotten through tough times by being like, my mind and my heart and my soul are so great. And that makes up for my stinky body that stinks, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) I think that singing can be such a nice way to reconnect with your body and be like, this is a body that creates that sound. This is a body that can make so much noise that it can reach people's hearts. And Mm -hmm. this is a body that can tell my story, that can tell the stories of my life. So I think both just the physical connective power of singing is so nourishing for someone struggling with body image, but also that when we sing and we make a sound we don't love, that that most people have a response of self kind of bullying, that they're like, oh, I can't believe I made that noise, that sucks, I'm sorry. There's a lot of apologizing a lot of times. There's a lot of frustration when we don't go from beginner to expert immediately (laughs) and practicing the the compassion toward ourselves of like oh that was an interesting note that's not what I like my brain asked for something my voice didn't do wow I wonder what's going on and for me as a teacher that's what my brain's doing I'm trying to put the puzzle together but for the student them producing that puzzle can be very fraught a lot of the time and so a lot of the work of voice lessons to me is becoming comfortable with our voices being in flux that when we are trying to work on one aspect, maybe some other aspects falls off. And that's like, ah, that happened. We can just be neutral and we can just notice that. And, you know, maybe we have to work on the new idea a little more so that becomes default. And then the other thing comes back. The other skill comes back, right? right? If I'm working with someone who's doing a song in another language, maybe they're doing great with their breath control, but once they put the French on it, the breath control goes away. (laughs) Right. So maybe we need to get the French a little more solid so the breath control can come back into the picture. So I think this can be true of any practice, but I think that engaging with things that are physically connective in a joyful way Mm -hmm. and with an intention of being kind and investigative and curious, I think that will always boost our body image practice because it's the same basic framework that we're trying to be curious and connected to our bodies. It's the same framework. It's the same. And I know even in my own voice lessons, I can tend to be a little critical of myself. And Kate will say things like, can we just look at it with curiosity and I'm like this is the same bullshit that I tell people all day long (laughs) and it it shows me how I function in the world that I am just overly critical of myself it's like wait why am I singing this song for the first time and it's not perfect I don't understand why is this (laughs) tool that I have inside of me not just like oh like done even just noticing the difference between when we start lessons and then we do vocal warm-ups and then at the end of like wow my body made that sound or wow my body made that sound (laughs) and just being able to be aware not only of the thoughts but how I respond to it and that's the same work that we do with body image work so that's really so beautiful and so fantastic what would you say to somebody who's like, I can't sing. Like there's, I can't do it. Like singing is not for me. I'm not a good singer. I think those are all really different things. If someone doesn't want to sing, that's fine. Like, okay, cool. There are things I don't want to do. Not because I think I can't, but I don't want to. If someone was like, let's go skydiving. I'd be like, no, no, thank you. (laughs) And it's not because of my weight or because I'm afraid. Well, it is because I'm afraid uh, of 
falling out of a thing. And but, dying, um, yes, I understand. <laughs> for some people, they just don't want to. But if they sure. say, I love singing, but I'm terrible at it and I'll yeah. never be any good, then if someone wants to learn, if someone is interested in learning, everyone has the capacity to learn more about singing. Hmm. I think that if someone never played the piano before and they were like, I'm bad at piano, we would go, that's crazy. You've never tried, right? But because our voices are something we do use constantly as speakers or as singers in casual ways, singing happy birthday or singing to a baby, we all use our singing voices some of the time. We don't think about ourselves as ever really being beginners at singing the way we do with any other instrument. But I think people, of course, have varying levels of talent, right? Talent, I think of as what you're born with. Some people are born with just like a voice that is jaw dropping and that feels like they need to go record an album immediately because they're (laughs) about to get a Grammy just for the beauty of the voice. But there are super successful singers with voices we wouldn't consider beautiful, with voices that we wouldn't consider like an innate talent. Hmm. I think about Louis Armstrong a lot because I love listening to Ella Fitzgerald and Louis doing their duets. Is that a beautiful voice? I don't know how that's beautiful by any measure, but do I right. love it? I love it. So like, how do so, you define beauty in, in How do you find beauty or talent? Yes, yeah. it's just what reaches people. So mm-hmm. I think if you have a desire to do it, mm-hmm. then do it. It doesn't matter if someone has talent. I have people come to me and ask if they're good enough to have voice lessons. And it always kind of cracks me up because it's such the wrong question. There is no good enough. Are you ready? Are you curious? Mm-hmm. Do you want it? Those are the things that I like look well, for in students. Is this something you actually want to do? Because if so, even if you start with a lot of trouble matching pitch, or if you start with a lot of tension or a small range or whatever the thing is that's making you feel like, mm, I'm not good at this, but mm. you want it. Yeah. Let's do it. Wow. That's, that's powerful. That's powerful. I love that. So what would you say to maybe an adult listening to this who's like, oh, I used to love musical theater, but I didn't pursue anything with it. And I'm not working towards a career in music. Why would having a voice teacher benefit them? I think that being able to express yourself in the most full way possible is the highest calling of studying voice being able to sing something the way that it is in your head and to be able to choose whether it's a happy song or it's like a really intense, raw, high belt song, or it's like a beautiful love song that you want to sing to someone you care about. Being able to do that in the way that feels most authentic sometimes takes a lot of work Hmm. and you don't have to use that skill that you build to make any money for it to be extremely valuable yeah that's powerful I I appreciate that and I know I could speak for myself the reason I had started doing voice lessons was because we we were amid the pandemic and I realized that I had such few things in my life that gave me joy Mm. and singing has always been something that gave me joy and there wasn't time I just wasn't making it a priority And so I thought, well, if I had voice lessons, I probably would make it more of a priority. And because of the work we've done together, singing has been an integral part of my life again. So I just want to thank you. Thanks, Bree. That makes me so happy. Joy is such an important part of music making that we call it playing music. Yeah. There's a reason we call it play. 
I love it's supposed that. to bring us joy. It's supposed to bring us fulfillment like that. <laughs> That's funny because <laughs> as, I'm sure there will be people who will resonate with this, but I struggle with play. I, I like structure and order and I'm not just good with free play. And so, yeah, even having the structure of a voice lesson helps with that. Right? It helps bring that play into my life. Mm-hmm. But also then not being able to quote unquote control how the lesson goes or, you know, realizing, wow, I have really high expectations of my voice that it's going to be able to do X, Y, and Z when really, you know, that's maybe not where my voice is and that's okay. And really being able to just challenge those automatic thoughts about my voice that, you know, maybe my voice will never sound like Louis Armstrong, but that doesn't mean it's not a good voice or a good song for my voice. Yeah, absolutely. So we are coming up on time, but I had two other questions for you. So the first question is, and you had actually come up with this, but if the rules were changed, right, and you could play any part that you wanted to, like there was no fear of not being cast because of who you are, which role would you play? Oh, for me, this is a hard question. I think the one that always comes to my mind, and I think this is one I could play even with the rules as they are, uh, quote unquote rules, is Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd. Um, I just find that show so funny and (laughs) so weird. And she's just such a great character. And I love Angela Lansbury, who was the original Mrs. Mm -hmm. Lovett. And I don't know. I just think that would be the most fun. (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. (laughs) What about for me? For you? Yeah. Who would you? Princess. That's like my low-key dream. Um, I've always... Or Glinda in Wicked. Oh my God, I would love being Glinda. But I I remember the first time I started learning about health at every size and fat liberation and and all this good stuff. I remember thinking like, I would love to play Belle. That would be a dream. Mm, I would be a great Belle. That would make me really happy. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So my last question for you is, what would you tell either your students or a younger version of yourself, what you know now, like what you maybe wish you had known back then? I think the most important thing I want young, fat performers to know, and all, not just young, is that being fat in the theater is important that showing up and being on stage and doing the thing anyway, even though there is still a lot of anti-fat bias in that industry, that is, Mm -hmm. even though we talked about it being an imaginary cloud, the anti-fat bias is real, but how powerful would it be to see fat people represented in these roles? Mm -hmm. How rich would a portrayal be if the character had that part of their identity as well? Like, having a fat bell would be so interesting. I feel like that would just enrich the role so much. Actually, Chicago Opera Theater is doing a production of Carmen in the fall with Stephanie Blythe as Don Jose and Jamie Barton as Carmen. And those are both fat opera singers. And um, actually, both mezzos. Stephanie Blythe is playing Don Jose as her drag alter ego, Blythe Oratonio. But these are like, Carmen is the sexiest character in opera. Carmen is like oozes sex. And so to have both of these characters be played by fat singers, to me is just like, oh, this is going to be 
such an amazing and interesting Carmen because right. Carmen is one of those in the opera industry, the same 10 shows get done over and over and over right. and over peppered with new works and other operas. But Carmen is one of the most done operas around the world. It is very commonly done. It's usually the same type of Carmen over hmm. and over. How much more interesting is that? I want to go to Chicago to see that show. Right. But if they were just opening with a thin traditional casting of Carmen, I would be like, oh, there's a Carmen happening over there. It wouldn't even cross my radar. So true. Here in Detroit to when I go all the way to Chicago to see an opera. I haven't seen an opera in years, despite being <laughs> someone with degrees <laughs> in operas. But I want to go see this. Wow. That people showing up in those roles is is important. Yeah. Representation is important. How many lives can you change if you do the work, show up, be so excellent that you can't mm -hmm. be denied, and some little person in the audience sees you and thinks, there's room for me. Yeah. It might be different. like Just like being a part of any marginalized group, your journey to a seat at the table might be different, but it is more valuable because you have the ability to open the door for all the people who have been waiting behind it. Wow. Wow. So That's so powerful. That's what I think. That's really powerful. And I would echo that too, because I think if I could go back and do it all over again, I probably would have still made the same choice to not pursue musical theater. Even if I had the confidence that I do now, because I have anxiety. <laughs> that is fair. And there are I, lots of reasons not to go into performance yeah, career. Yeah, I can't handle the inconsistency and I don't want to mm -hmm. waitress. That's not what I want to do. And so much respect for people who have done that and do that and continue to do that. Mm -hmm. But then also to like seeing fat characters on TV in roles has been life changing for me. And I, even more so, like would love to see fat characters be in roles without there also being a focus on their fatness of just it's just part of who they are they're just a fat character i have to say the new show on peacock rutherford falls has been like very emotional for me because the mm -hmm. lead character is fat and it has not been mentioned and like the love interest for her is the guy from schitt's creek who's with alexis yes that guy and i was like oh Wow. This is just a fat lady getting it. And <laughs> she's Native American and she's, wow. you know, fighting for her culture. And she's about all this other stuff. She's educated. She's funny. And her fat does not get brought up. Wow. Wow. And I would say, like, she and I are similar sizes. Like, I, it, she's not like TV fat, like a little fat, you know? Right. <laughs> Which is, is also exciting. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes. So I think that is a really good sign. Because yeah. I agree with you. If it's all about them being fat, it's not really representation. A hundred percent. It feels more exploitative. A hundred percent. Because most of us are just living our lives being fat and not like just sitting and crying about it all the time. About being fat. Right. And, <laughs> and then the expectation is that, oh, they're fat. It, they must have an eating disorder. They must eat too much. And that's right. just statistically not true. I mean, the average American woman wears at least a size 1x or above this is the norm if you have not yet seen poodle science is one of my favorite uh, clips that I'll, I'll share with a client and it talks all about how well we would never expect all the dogs to look like poodles 
right? People <laughs> just have different body sizes. Some are mastiffs, some are chihuahuas. We have different sizes and not all of them caused because we eat too much. And so reclaiming that title and showing up in a powerful and impactful way. It's so beautiful. I love that. Kate, tell my listeners where they can find you and how can they work with you? Well, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoyvoice and at Kate Rosen Studio, also on Instagram. At Fat Joy, we're going to be doing a karaoke night coming up, which is a low stress, fun, just connecting evening where we self-identified fat people are going to just sing on Zoom. It's going to be rad. And if you want to learn about one-on-one lessons, you can shoot me a DM on Instagram or you can drop me a line at kate at katerosenstudio.com. You should do both of those because I do them both. And uh, by the time this airs, I'm, I'm not sure if we'll have shared, but you will be doing something fun with me in a couple of weeks. So uh, everyone should stay tuned for that. So yeah, thank you so wait. much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it, Kate. Thanks, Bree. Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Body Image with Brie. If you like what you heard, please like and subscribe to this podcast, comment a review below, or share this link with someone you care about. If you share this episode on Instagram, be sure to tag me at Body Image with Brie so I can follow along with your podcast listening journey. If you're interested in learning more about my offerings, feel free to check out my website, bodyimagewithbree.com. Thanks for being here and until next time.